Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, May 13th. It's Next Gen Week here on the Mini Break Podcast. All week long, we will be taking a deep dive into what I will affectionately say is my favorite favorite generation of professional tennis players. It's the guys I have seen from the start of their careers through the end. Was I ever competing against them? No, of course not. I was never that good. But those were the guys who, when I looked in the rankings list, I saw them at the top of the American crop or the top of the international group on the rise. I got to see these players ascend through the challenger rankings, make their way through the ATPs finally starting to have breakthroughs on the game's biggest stages. So we've talked about various aspects on their game. On Monday, I took a look at how this generation of players have really begun to assert themselves within not just the top 200 of the ATP rankings, but the top 100, top 50, top 30, top 10 as well. Yesterday on Technique Tuesday, Carousel and I went through what the, the things are we think these players need to improve on for them to ultimately get to the point where they are competing for and hopefully winning Grand Slams on the ATP Tour. And today, we're going to recap what they've done thus far on Tour. We are going to talk about the best results we have seen from this next-gen crop of guys thus far through their respective careers. And joining me to do just that today on the Media Break Podcast, you know him as my doubles partner, partner in crime, and a guy who certainly considers himself a part of this next-gen ATP crop, Maxwell LeBauer-Rothman. Maxie, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. Well, I'm good. We don't have to rehash the uh, the massive mistake that we made back when we interviewed Taylor uh, a couple years ago, and you know some uh, some false memories of of who uh, <laughs> I played back in the day. But um, I think we might need to find a way to get our bloopers or mistakes uh, <laughs> into the Patreon you know portion of of this because that first couple takes that you had before we tried to get into this intro was golden i wish you guys all could see what i get to see that your first attempt at the welcome to the mini break you went for this kind of announcer voice you're like welcome to the mini break this is your (laughs) i I i'm so sad that we went back to the welcome to the mini break like i i I needed you to just just harness that in for one more take because it was golden so you could ask Parker or Wes stuff, and again, this is why at the end of every podcast I say shout out to super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out, because, and maybe it's just that we're in quarantine and I don't leave the house often and I've gotten just in such the routine of saying this for all of these podcasts, but it takes me at least five, six tries nowadays to get going. Like, I will repeat the first 20 seconds of every podcast at least that many times, and thankfully we cut them all so you don't have have to hear them but parker who is my roommate parker thieneman uh brother of our of course ceo dalton thieneman well you know if it's nighttime it's 9 9 30 p.m and he knows what time it is he'll come out and he'll just go welcome to the mini break your daily and he'll do the daily episodes because i do daily. put a little i do put a little oomph in the daily we, we might need to get you know maybe michael in here for for his announcer <laughs> voice just to get that first 10 seconds because it would pop it would really pop yeah, but I also hit the alto pitch in the first 10 seconds. So it's like the innocence of, hey, welcome to the mini break. Like, oh, I'm part of this elite group of mini break listeners. And yes, you are all elite. And we always appreciate that you all continue to listen. Uh, but of course, Maxie, the topic is the next gen. And the reason I bring them up is this really was the root of our podcast. This is the generation for us that we have seen continue to rise that as we mature and become, you know, full-fledged adults and I'm sure our parents would say that's going to take a little longer than for most average humans but this is the group we are going to see mature I do feel a special connection to this group given my age is that fair or am I just being dramatic no of course I I feel the same way I mean 
I a lot of these guys I got to see, you know, even in tournaments that I might have been in back in the day, and, and it makes it so much cooler that to imagine, you know, yourself potentially being out there if you possibly could have put in the work uh, that the guy, these guys have put in and, you know, had the talent to be able to do it. So, of course, you know, being in similar age to these guys is uh, is obviously going to give us a, you know, a special affinity towards them. Uh, so, you know, no, no reason to, to feel weird about that, my friend. Yeah, and as I mentioned on Monday, this group, they're affectionately called the Next Gen because the Next Gen ATP Finals were launched for the 1996ers. You have to be 21 or uh, younger to compete in those Next Gen Finals. The 96ers were the first age group, old, or I should say young enough, to compete in them in 2017. And that brand's also stuck with them. Now, of course, personally, and I've said this on every pod this week, but just a reminder, I was born October 1995, and you know all those 96ers, a little bit younger than me. I like calling them the next gen because I don't like to think that I've arrived yet either. I like to think I've still got a little bit more upside as a podcast host. But in general, this next gen crew, they really have begun to assert themselves in the ATP rankings and the jumps they've taken even you know from 2019 to 2020. As of now, there are four top 10 players. There were two in 2019. There are 12 top 20 players. There were eight in 2019. 18 top 50 players. There were 11 in 2019. You know, uh, I think they're at 30 total top 100 players and then 66 total players in the top 200. You know, by age, this group, you know, the oldest members are at oldest 24 years old. But and that is sort of when you start to hit your prime. But given that in the modern game, the age of someone's prime is no longer 22 to 27, 28. It's probably more 24 to 30 that there are this many players well positioned to make a run because eventually mother nature will get the better of the big three I think they're going you know again I'm rehashing a conversation I had early in the week but why I'm excited to talk about the best results and while I was preparing for today's podcast topic it does feel like we have a really good group of guys positioned to ascend up to the top of the ATP game and if I told you you know 12 guys could maybe take home a slam over the next 10 years assuming we ever get professional tennis back that feels feasible right Absolutely. I think the coolest thing about this exercise was going back and seeing some of the results these guys had. I mean, we're, we're looking at even 19-year-olds, you know, before these guys even reached their 20s, getting top 10 wins against, you know, the, the top 10, of course, but more importantly, some of the big three. Uh, and it's just, you know, really impressive to see. Uh, you kind of forget about some of these results, too, how impressive they were at such a young age because – a lot of these guys now, you know, have been on the tour for five years. Uh, and so you kind of forget, you know, going back four or five years, some of the uh, unbelievable results they had. And it's not crazy at all to say that many of these guys are probably going to be fighting each other for Grand Slams uh, in the coming years. And it's it'll definitely be, uh, I think, a little bit more exciting because we're going to have a lot of different winners, uh, at least in my opinion. So, uh, yeah. These numbers might be a little bit off, but I remember last night I was hanging out with Parker. Again, second Parker name drop in this podcast. Good for you, Parker. Yeah. Well-deserved because he now gets the brunt of my tennis takes. If I start to talk tennis, Wes Elf will just turn his head. He doesn't want to look at me anymore when I'm talking tennis. It's like He's like, I hear enough of it uh, you know, every night. But you know, we were talking, and from, I think, Federer's first title— at the 03 Wimbledon through now, there have been 10 Grand Slam champions. Uh, and, you know, I, we could go through the list. We don't have to. But, and you know, that's so few, right? You feel like, oh, but how was it beforehand? Well, from 1998 before that, you know, Pete Sampras's 98 Wimbledon title through that 03 Wimbledon that Federer won, I think there were 11 different champions. And that's and five so years. There, <laughs> exactly. And so there will be a window for these players to win slams. There will be a little bit of chaos probably like there was in the early 2000s and so what we did today is again we went back in time and we've looked through their careers thus far and it's really been you know 2016 2017 is when we really start to see these players rise to the top 50 of the game a couple of them certainly many of them start trickling into the top 100 but what were the most notable results what were the best performances the things that stuck with us the things that maybe have shaped the way we view so many of these next gen players in terms 
terms of their potential upside, in terms of what we think they could accomplish over prolonged stretches of periods on the ATP Tour when they're in their prime. Of course, all of that is a tease, but because before we get into any of today's topic, I have to let all of you know this is what we call a deeply dug in promo here, Rothman, that this podcast and every day's mini break podcast is podcast is brought to you by our friends at Midwest Sports. And for more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. You don't need me to tell you that. You also don't need me to tell you that with their 40,000 square foot warehouse, they operate the candy land of the professional tennis world. Anything you want to find, your dream scenario, you can find on MidwestSports.com because they have one of the largest in stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping from their warehouse directly to your home. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. And above all else, if you don't have a guru, a doubles partner, a Max Rothman in your life to help talk through all of your big racket and stringing and clothing determinations, their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect tennis racket, perfect tennis shoe, or perfect tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Maxie, what are you rocking on the court right now? Well, look, you know, I obviously have been rocking the, the Bablot Pure Arrow for a while now, uh, and I, I plan to continue to do so, but I'm getting, you know, a couple generations back, and uh, I think I'm going to have to go over to that website, which is super easy to use. You can search by all the different brands. They've got a great sales section, uh, and I usually go there to, to look at the, the past uh, generation of rackets to get that little bit of a discount but if you want even more of a discount use the cracked rackets code cr15 get 15 percent off on the website it's uh it's a great way to, to get some you know discounted gear discounted rackets uh whatever it is that you might need well, I have actually a little surprise for you, Maxie. You know, our friends at Midwest Sports are so ex- are as excited, I should say, about this partnership as we are. And to make an even more special offer for our Crack Rackets fans out there, you use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off above everything else you order. You also get a free can of Wilson tennis balls. They they know you're itching to get back on the court. They want to give you all of the supplies you need, and they are ready to do just that. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Get 15% off all of your orders. I also have to, another surprise for you, Maxie. It's a two-day surprise because we are both well aware you came on the podcast to help me announce our partnership with DraftKings, and they know all of us here in quarantine are getting a little antsy. We're looking for new hobbies to pick up. Well, do I have a treat for you? Uh, there will be a free-to-bet day on DraftKings.com on May 14th, and they are offering a free $5.14. Get it? May 14th, $5.14. Hey, great shot. Bet for all users, both new and existing, that visit DK Sportsbook in active sportsbook states. Uh, be sure to go to their website or go to dkng.co slash crackingrackets to let them know that we sent you. You can learn more about their free-to-bet day. Rothman, that day's got you written all over it i mean that's tomorrow baby so let's uh let's get going but yeah absolutely i'll definitely be hopping onto the website uh and and using that code because why not free money baby yeah exactly free money and as a real estate person you know take the money when it's there right always take it always yeah um witness history at roland garros where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. All right, with that in mind, Rothman, I want to start today's conversation here because there are so many fantastic next-gen players right now. And, of course, there are four in the top four, Tsitsipas, Berrettini, Zverev, and Medvedev right now. But, you know, you extend back, Hachinov's been in the top ten. Chorich has sniffed the top ten. Rublev sniffed it. And a bunch of other guys have as well. I'm curious, what did your process look like to start filtering out this result? these results? What did the word, you know, most significant, best? 
best performances mean to you? Because, you know, again, there's always going to be some vagueness in that definition, but what were you searching for when picking these performances? So it definitely came down to a couple different things. Uh, But weirdly, one of the first things that came to my mind was where were they at in their career? Uh, And that was, I think, kind of the first thing that I looked at, right? Were they were they 18 or 19? Were they just hopping into the tour? Had they been on the tour for a couple years? Uh, obviously, you know, the longer you're on, the more you get comfortable with tournaments, being able to last longer in, you know, a Grand Slam when you're playing two weeks. Um, so that's definitely a very important factor. And then, of course, the next thing is, you know, who are they playing? Who are the, the players that they're beating? Um, again, if we're playing two out of three sets versus three out of five sets, um, and then, of course, you know the the level of tournament that they're at. So it's definitely different to to win a match at a Grand Slam than it is to win at a 250. Um, and so those were really the kind of the three things that I think defined my my criteria when looking at best performance. Now, also just keep in mind, uh, performance doesn't encapsulate just one result necessarily. It can be a string of results, and you'll see at least in my list that that is the case for a variety of my players. So we both cheated the same way. You asked me before. You, I texted you. I was like, just so you know, I cheated on the list. And you're, you were like, what do you mean? I was like, you'll see. And you anticipated this. We cheated in the same ways because it's difficult to limit any one tournament in tennis to just a single tennis performance. It's now, not. you want to limit it to a Grand Slam title and focus on that in a vacuum. That's fine. If you're someone who values that single Grand Slam title, again, we did Chilich versus Burdich last week. We don't have to do that again. But there is a large large proportion of tennis fans that value the grand slams above all else and we're not again we don't have to litigate that right now um but in in terms of as you mentioned uh going through all of these events context is key um of course where were these players in their careers and did that make that result more significant where was the tour at during the time this result happened was there a healthy nadal Djokovic, and federer competing all in the event was there a healthy andy murray or had he already started to succumb to injury you know, what was the level of Stan Wawrinka, Del Potro, because in 2018, Del Potro was a, you know, a major factor in so many of the season's results. So I completely agree with you. Context is king. I will say, because there have been so many elite results, ATP 500 level and higher, that I did eliminate the majority of 250s. I... I was so close as a hot take for my fifth spot, putting Taylor Fritz's September of of 2015 when he won the junior U.S. Open and then won back-to-back challengers. But, like, the more research I did, I was like, that's just— that's inexcusable. It, yeah, like you, it doesn't yeah, like even you compare just, to some of the other performances. Yeah, it's like you just can't. If you're going to discount 250s, but you're going to count back-to-back challengers. Although that was one of those moments where, in context, you have to remember 2015. There was just nothing in terms of next-gen talent, and you know there was just a dirt that that generation, generation Grigor. Just they've underachieved so much more than any again, prior generation. But again, we're talking about who are they competing against. It's a huge yeah. factor, and I, and I understand that that's a you know big component as to why you probably removed those. Yeah, absolutely. And so you know to get again to this criteria, it's tough because you could just you could probably go with five Alex Zverev performances and justify it. And like, are there, of course there will be other ones you leave out that it's like well that should probably be in there. But there could be four I would say for sure that you could throw in there. His three Masters title plus his year end championship. And you're just like, okay, that's four. That's fair. You're right. And leave a fifth. So are we going to do exactly our top five? No. But I do think there are different levels of results that distinguish themselves above the rest. I think there are three guys in a category above everyone else. And that's where I want to start this uh, conversation. Because I imagine, much like you, that you included a performance from Tsitsipas, a performance from Zverev, and a performance from Medvedev. Going through this exercise, is it safe to say say those three have really distinguished themselves from the rest of the group yeah I mean of course right I mean we're, we're talking about the biggest wins on the biggest stages both Tsitsipas and Zverev winning you know the the ATP Nito finals year-end finals uh and you know I, I, I had both of those performances in my you know list of performances to look at right I mean Tsitsipas in his he beats Medvedev Zverev fed and team like how do you not you know consider that as one of the greater greatest performances of you know this group it, it's hard to argue against that um so yeah of course those those have to be in there and of course the medvedev uh run to the australian open finals i mean how how do you say that that's not one of them so um, so 
Well, actually, sorry. Keep going. Keep going. So, I mean, I, I, those are all in my groupings, uh, but I have some other ones that I think are a little bit more fun to look at uh, well, and, and go back and, and talk about. I was going to say, let's save the honorable mention. Uh, well, not just the honorable mention, but the more fun ones for the end. Let's just do the big three first uh, of this group, because I do think you have to start with them when you talk about the most impactful performances, the best performances, the most memorable thus far, because the three of them have done something that no one else in this group has. And looking back, by the way, Karen Hatchinov's 2018 Paris Open title, way less fluky than I remembered it being. He beat Djokovic in the final of that event, I believe. Uh, who else did he beat in that event? There was someone good in there. I think it was he beat Dominic Team in the semifinals as well as Zverev in the quarterfinals. That's a really good win. But that Paris was funky. You have to remember going into that match that, you know, Nadal ended up withdrawing right before and Murray was injured, so he wasn't playing. Wawrinka wasn't healthy at that point either. And it was just a funky Paris Masters. But, you know, Tsitsipas... And Zverev with their year-end championships. And then Medvedev, which is why I jumped on you when you brought up the Medvedev thing. I cheated with Daniil Medvedev. He was the first person I said, I'm violating my own rules. Because his U.S. Open final in a vacuum, in a vacuum, you just look at who he beat in that specific tournament— really not that impressive because you start to go through it and you look at the guys he beat and you know it wasn't a good result of course it was but he beat Gunaswarian who was number 88 he beat Delian number 84 Feliciano number 61 and it was a dramatic four-setter against Feliciano but more dramatic probably than it needed to be then he got a gift of a fourth round in Dominic Kofor and that's not to be rude to Dominic Kofor who's an outstanding but player fourth but fourth round Exactly. Let's be honest. That's a gift. He then got Stan Wawrinka, who, again, 2019 Stan Wawrinka is not 2015 Stan Wawrinka. That's about as helpful as you can hope, or as good as you can hope for in a quarterfinal. Then he got a post-beating Roger Federer Grigor Dimitrov in the semifinals, who was number 78 going into the tournament. That event on its own, and it's funny because I put out a poll on Twitter asking what people thought, and they have this result, the U.S. Open final for Medvedev as a prohibitive number one, and that gets back to people favor slams. On its own, it's not that great. I mean, In the context of him going 29-3 and from the City Open through the Shanghai Masters event, it's f-ing phenomenal. I mean, you also, and I also have to correct myself. I think I accidentally said Australian Open when I was talking about Medvedev. Obviously, it's his U.S. Open run. I think the other thing is you have to just look at that match against Nadal, right? I mean, that performance in and of itself, I mean, if we want to talk about just specific match results, is one of the most impressive performances that we've probably seen. I don't know if we have seen one of the next-gen guys, except maybe a team Nadal French Open semis, is no, uh, no. Zverev, first of all, Zverev Djokovic ATP Finals. I was watching the highlights. No, but see, again, Zverev hits him off the court. I know, and, and look, I, that that's what that's why he's on there for the performances. But yeah. five sets, epic five sets in a Grand Slam True. final. I mean, although he lost, is still probably by a single match result one of the most impressive performances we've seen from a next gen player to date. I mean. None, none of them have won a Grand Slam, and to get that far, to get to the the finals against Rafa and push to five sets in that fashion, I mean, I know you remember that match. It was epic. Everyone watching it couldn't even believe that these guys were still running around the court that deep into the match. So uh, I think you have to give a lot of weight to that one specific match in that performance. So I think that's fair. That's a very good case. And, I, you know, again, perfect. I, I have nothing to add to that because he's the first guy of the next-gen crop to make a final. And just on its face, that means so much at, the, you know, at a Grand Slam to be able to pull that off. But, you know, the wins leave something to be desired. And, again, that final itself was spectacular. The run there— not as impressive, but but again, why? So it's a loose top five. Medvedev, I I bunched it all together from the City Open through Shanghai. Here are his results again: City Open final, Rogers Cup final, Cincy champion, U.S. Open final, Saint Petersburg champ, Shanghai Masters champ. That's six events where he made the final or better at all of them. He goes twenty nine and three over that stretch. Strength of schedule: eighteen top fifty wins, nine top twenty wins, five top ten wins, two top five wins. His losses were two to Nadal and then a six and six 
loss in the City Open final to Kyrgios in a match he really could have won. In that context, this and this is why I wanted to talk about a stretch because you talk about the most three dominant three month stretch any next gen guy has had. This is one A. And that's why I have Zverev number one, and we can get to that conversation afterwards. But this three-month performance from Medvedev, to to have this sort of season, to actually go through a three-month stretch where you could legitimately make the case that he was the second-best player in the world behind Nadal, and you have to say second because Nadal beat him in both of those finals. There's never maybe, you know, outside of, again, a Zverev stretch I'll talk about in a second, he's the only guy to have done that, and he did it over a three-month stretch of just dominant tennis. It, it displayed an upside that only Tsitsipas and Zverev has match, have matched. That's why he's in, you know, that's why these three guys are in their own category for me. I mean, look, that three-month stretch for any player, if Federer had that three-month stretch right now, there would be storylines about it, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to to say that it's just impressive because he's a next-gen, it doesn't even give him enough credit. It's impressive for any player, uh, regardless of him being, you know, in this next-gen category. So, uh, but, but I am curious to hear what you have to say about this Zverev stretch because I, I do know, I think, what, what stretch you're going to refer to. Well, so the kicker is the 2018 year on championship final for Zverev. And why he right. I have that above the Tsitsipas one is because you look at what he did in the semifinals and the finals. He beats Federer 5-6, and six, and then he beats Djokovic 4-3. And, three. and, and in it that was event, a dominant 4-3. And, and it's the best any of the next-gen guys have ever looked because he legitimately, at that size, with that fluidity, hits Novak Djokovic off the court. And he combines, it's somewhere across between the Andy Murray strategy of keep Djokovic in the center and just grind him down, as well as the Roger Federer, oh, okay, you're going to give me a chance, I'm going to go big here. And just some of the backhands he hits down the line. He also hits this one inside-in forehand, you're just like... It's just, it's everything, and everyone has heard me say this, but when you see a good Alex Zverev, there's never been anything like it. That sort of athlete, that sort of ball striker with that sort of size and length in ATP Tour history. And I've watched a lot of, you know, early 2000s, late 90s tennis as of late. They just didn't exist before Alex Zverev like this. Um, And I just, you look at that 2018 season in total, and his 2018, as great as Medvedev was, and Medvedev was spectacular in 2019, Zverev was better in 2018. He, you know, four titles, six finals, and 21 events. He goes 60 and 19, 76% win percentage, and, you know, only one quarterfinal at the French Open, and that's not great compared to, you know, the final that Medvedev put up. But he won Madrid. He finaled Rome and Miami. He semifinaled Shanghai and Monte Carlo. He ended the year as the number four player in the world. That's the best single next gen season, uh, you know, that's the best next gen season, in my opinion, put up thus far. And that's why I give him the slight edge over Medvedev, who was really good for three months at the end. And people forget, he was also really good at the beginning of the season as well. He lost that, I think it was third or fourth round match to Djokovic at the Australian Open, which I've said before was one of my favorite matches. He also, uh, early in that season, I believe, made a couple of finals as well. Um, Yeah, he made the finals, I see here. And he won Sofia, final of Brisbane, final of Barcelona. He was really good at the start and at the end, but in the middle, he suffered a little bit. Alex Vera put together the best 52 weeks, 52, excuse me, the best 42-week season. And that's why, in my opinion, he is number one on this list for me. Because it's it's the year-end finals capped off what was the best next-gen season I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I don't have enough to look at as far as comparable seasons and and everything you said there is perfectly valid as to how unbelievable that season was for him uh i just think you also are not giving enough credit to cc Paz's uh atp final as well i mean he look we're, we're talking about a couple match difference zverev to lose to djokovic in the round robin play and then to come back and beat him like that super impressive so we're talking about a Chilich and an Isner win in his round-robin play versus Tsitsipas, who has a Medvedev and a Zverev win in his round-robin play, loses a three-setter, 7-6-4-6-5-7 to Nadal in his round-robin play to go ahead and beat Fed in the semis and then team in an epic final. I mean, those those two finals are like, I want to go go ahead and say neck and neck. Like that, Those are almost com- exactly comparable finals. So 
is it tougher to beat that Dominic team in a 2019 final or Novak Djokovic who won the U.S. Open in 2018, who lost in the finals of Paris in 2018, and who then made the finals of the next gen uh, or of the ATP final event, and then you beat him in straight sets after beating Federer the round before? I'm not trying to take anything away from Stefano Tsitsipas because I agree with you. You know, on a granular level, event to event, it's very neck and neck. And that's why, again, these three, you can put them one, two, three in any order. I don't have a beef with you. If you put anyone other than these three in the top three, that's where I'll say you're kind of crazy. But I would give Zverev the slight edge just because to beat Federer and Djokovic back-to-back, he didn't do it at a slam, but we're just waiting for one of them to do it at a slam, and at least he's proven he can do it at a higher-pressure event. Yeah, that's fair. And and look, I mean, I, we're getting pretty nitpicky here. And team, exactly, yeah. and team in his round robin play before losing to Tsitsipas beat Djokovic and Federer. Uh, so you know, we're, we're talking about a very high level, high playing team at this point. Uh, and you know, I'm gonna go super nitpicky here and say it is a lot easier, I think, to beat someone after you just lost to them. I think there's a level of competitive edge that just fires you up to say, I'm not going to go two losses in five days to the same guy. I just Even if it's Novak Djokovic? I know, I know. That's why I'm saying I'm getting yeah. very nitpicky yeah. here. Um, but there is something to that, right? You just lost to him. You're you, It's super fresh. You can learn from the mistakes you made, try different things. Um, but again, you can't take away anything from that performance. It was incredible. Last pitch for Zverev because to talk about that Djokovic, he won Shanghai, he won Cincinnati, he made the finals of Paris, and he won the U.S. Open and Wimbledon at the end of that 2018 season. That's the Zverev, or that's the Djokovic Zverev ended up beating. Also, years prior to that, 2010 to now, Federer, Federer, Djokovic, 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 Murray had won from 2010 through 2016. Dimitrov won in 2017, which is like, wow, are we seeing a generation? <laughs> Dimitrov. And then Zverev, was like, Zverev goes, no, 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 no. We're going to skip that generation. It's our time. And he gets this sort of victory. He's in the lead in this group. And I guess final thing on this group of the top three, because then we can move on to the more fun ones. And I, I feel like we did disrespect Tsitsipas a little bit. We should give him a little more love because that semifinal he made at the Australian Open to follow up the next-gen finals, spectacular. You know, for Tsitsipas, he also has a couple of other really good ones. I think there was the final he had at the Rogers Cup in 2018 where he beat Team Djokovic, Zverev, Anderson back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to before losing to Nadal in the final. And in the context of that 20. 2018 that was I I remember I was in the Cincy press room when he ended up beating Anderson there's a little name drop for you that's like the first time I've ever been able to do that and there was a commotion like oh is Tsitsipas the guy and I I'm not going to say who I was arguing with but then as now I was like no it's Zverev trust me about this one Um, but Tsitsipas Tsitsipas deserves to be in the conversation with Medvedev and Zverev because it even though it hasn't been as prolonged there have been enough flashes of brilliance plus just everything you read about about him and his mentality that he belongs at the top of this cohort's conversation. Yeah, agreed. And I guess the last you know thing I'll just say about Zverev, uh, and it is on that point of prolonged success, right? And we get into that in all of our debates between the different players that we've talked about. You know, he's got 24 top 10 wins in his career, uh, four in 2016, seven in 2017, 10 in that 2018 season, three in 2019, and he's finished. Uh, I think top 10 three times now. Twenty, He was fourth in 2017, fourth in 2018, and seventh in 2019. Yeah, his performance over a prolonged period, he does deserve that number one spot. Medvedev could potentially take that over, though, if he continues the success he had in 2019. Um, but I definitely want to get into some of these other players because, of course, these three were on the top of the list, and you couldn't not talk about them. Well, I do feel like we haven't given Tsitsipas enough love. Like, so wanna, I know you wanna, I just you said give that, him a but... little more love? Can we give him two minutes of love? Just like a quick two minutes. Sure. Um, that's everyone knows. I'm all about the quick two minutes of love. But um, okay. Sorry, mom, who I know is listening we need, to this we podcast. Need, Westoff needs to throw in a, some sort of sound effect for that. One. <laughs> okay, but two minutes of love with Tsitsipas. What a great segment that is. So you can bid for that on our Patreon right now. Um, whenever we anyways, get him, if whenever the day is that he gets on the uh, the interview, we we got to do something on in that with that. Segment I'll play. Title. I'll play that clip for him. Yeah, that's one of those blue. <laughs> you were talking about when you do the year-end bloopers. Um, all right, for Tsitsipas, the event that he won, all the top eight players at the next or at the year-end finals were playing. And Berrettini, was he the weakest number eight maybe in year-end finals history? 
No. Yes. All, no, the statistics at the time said yes. Um, but that's, again, a discussion for another time. The point is, unlike Zverev, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, all there. Tsitsipas wins his group by beating Zverev and by beating, I believe, Medvedev. Uh, Nadal beat him, but it, there's you know incredible tiebreakers there. But then, as you mentioned, for Tsitsipas to come out, beat Federer, then beat Dominic Team, you know, 7-6 in a third set on that stage. Plus, you throw in all of the success he had at the beginning of last season as well, where he was really dominant on the early hardcore stretch, played so many events early in the season, and that sort of bit him during the middle of the year. But, I mean, again, to end this conversation, upside right now, uh, and this is sort of gets to uh, part of the reason I want to do this next gen week because I have the theory that, and I've said it repeatedly, so I apologize, listeners. But if Alex Zverev is the first of this group to win a major, look out because he's got the personality, the cockiness to where he would be like, you know what? I own all of you now. This is my world. You're living in it. And he has that attitude of, I am better than you. I am no longer afraid of you. Let me go prove it. Because right now he is a little bit afraid on the big stages, but he has the personality, I think, to be that sort of dominant top player. I think Tsitsipas has it as well. Tsitsipas, yeah, because he's just different just something it's it's sort of just he's just sort of like you know what i don't really care what you're doing like i'm gonna do my th- it's it's i say it's in the nadal model and i know game style they don't compare but mentality where it's just like you know what i'm out here to do my thing and i'm gonna do it and if i win cool if not you must have played really well and i think he's got that attitude and so i still put them despite medvedev's stretch being better than Pass's, i'd put them slightly above medvedev in terms of upside where do you have the standing on those three right now i mean yeah i'm gonna give it to him look Pass is 21 we we also have to consider that right he's literally 21 years old if you look at you know his career thus far he really started i don't even know if i would really count 2017 he only played one masters event in 2017 he starts really in 2018 and he makes a fourth round of wimbledon in 2018 he makes the semifinals of the australian open in 2019 in the year that he wins the atp finals and he's already got a couple final uh finals appearances in masters tournaments i mean the guy is ended 2019 ranked number six and he's 21 years old so you know if we're talking about potential and given that Medvedev, I think, is 24, you know, that age gap, I think you might have to give it to Tsitsipas in that sense. Now, again, then we go back to prolonged success. Medvedev has had a little bit more prolonged success, and that's just a matter of age difference. So uh, it's tough. It's really hard to yeah. say, but I, I want to give the potential to Tsitsipas. I think you're right. Yeah, I also think just across surfaces, Zverev and Tsitsipas have games that translate. And Agreed. just Zverev, because of how big he is, his serve and what he can do with it, there's a world. And I, he should have beaten Rayonich and made a quarterfinal on Wimbledon. I think that was 20, at Wimbledon in 2017. But I think all of their games translate across surfaces. Medvedev's got a funky game for grass. I think he could be good at Wimbledon. Of course, when he beat Stan there, that was one of the big breakthroughs early in his career. But I still worry about him on clay because even though he's made a semifinal at a, I think it was a 500 level event in Barcelona, I don't love it yet on the clay. I still need to see more of it. And so I would give just the slight edge to Zverev and Tsitsipas. But like you, I agree. I think those three are in a conversation by themselves. But let's get to the rest of the conversation because you're right. Now it gets funky. And I will say this. I have one result that I think needs to be included in the top five. There's one I'm absolutely certain I will be upset if you don't have it. But I think you will. Max Rothman, give me your next result. I think I might start with the one that you're talking about. And I really hope that it is and uh, I'll be excited I'm talking about Hyun Chung's 2018 Australian Open and I and I knew that that was what you wanted and so I, I want you to know that's not the one I was thinking of but oh. it's in my top five okay well that result I mean that that performance excuse me again not a result this was a string of performance was unbelievable I'm just gonna go ahead and and list off these matches that he ended up playing um Oh, excuse me. I'm, I'm losing him in my draw. But he ends up making the semifinals. And, of course, he does have to withdraw to Federer 
in that semifinals, which is just a heartbreaker because he played. Grossest foot blister maybe in recent memory. I know, and, and to only imagine what he could have done had that not been the case. But starting off in his first round, he beats a Misha Zverev, who ends up retiring. He beats Medvedev in straight sets, 7-6, 6-1, 6-1. And I actually went back and watched some of the resu- uh, the highlights from this. Unbelievable. I mean, the dude's backhand is just incredible. Um, and then he goes on to beat Zverev, who's the four seed at the time. In a five-set thriller, he wins 5-7-7-6-2-6-6-3-6-0. And then the big match, Novak Djokovic straight sets. 7-6-7-5-7-6. And, and, I mean, that's the match, of course, that defines this route for him. He goes on to beat Tennis Sandgren in the quarterfinals. Uh, in straight sets again, four, six, and three before pulling out to Fed. I mean, prior to Medvedev, probably the best next gen Grand so, Slam performance, truly. So I have many things to say. There's this is why I included this one in my top five because for both of us, we started our podcast August 2017. The first fall that we were doing this podcast for Cracked Rackets was the inaugural next-gen ATP finals. And guess who won those next-gen ATP Yan finals? Chung. And he goes on to win there. And, you know, again, do I toot my own horn? Plenty on this podcast. And I apologize because I'm going to do that again. Uh, there is an article. If you go to CrackedRackets.com, there are also multiple podcasts from the 2017 offseason and the start of the 2018 uh, season. And you asked me, you said, Alex, give me three guys you're watching. And there is a pod where I say, Hyun Chung, Daniil Medvedev, and Stefano Tsitsipas. And you were there. And you, I, I think it was in August of 2018 where you're like, Alex, I actually think you got three right. Because there's also plenty of podcasts where I praise Kozlov and where I say, man, Jared Donaldson's going to be in the top Fifty for years, and like those. Oh, I, I don't think I actually ever said that, but I definitely <laughs> said that about Ernesto Escobedo. Um, and you know, I, I'm wrong as well. But this was the run that started it, and there should be like an eighth of credit to Kyle Edmund as well, who also made the semifinals. But that was the first breakthrough where you thought, oh my god. Like, is this going to happen? And some people might say, no, it was actually curious when he made the fourth round at Wimbledon. I disagree. When Hyun Chung, just the way he did it as well, because I'm pretty sure, as you mentioned, he beat Zverev too, right? In the round before he beat Djokovic. Yeah, he beats and then him in to that just... five-set thriller and to go straight sets to straight set Djokovic? I mean— Yeah, and it— it wasn't a healthy Djokovic, but it was still Novak freaking Djokovic. And then, you know, from there to just crush Sandgren the way he did to get to that semifinal round, it was a big moment. And what was best is he followed it up. It wasn't a fluke. And injuries have obviously tormented Ugh. his career since then. But he goes Australian Open semis, Delray quarterfinals, Acapulco 500 quarterfinals, Indian Wells quarterfinals, Miami quarterfinals. That run of success isn't Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev level, but it's whatever's the ring under that. He ascended his way into the top 20, and he was a top 20, maybe even top 15 player for a three-month stretch. And I agree with you. That had to be in there. I mean, also, right, like like you said, the injuries. I mean, who knows what could have been if it weren't for the injuries, and we can't play that what-if game. Uh, but he again, he was 21 years old when this happened. Yeah. This was 2018. He he's a May 96 baby, so he's uh, you know he's freshly. He's your age. He's my age exactly. It's his birthday this month. Happy birthday, Heon. Yeah, actually, you know, next a week from today. So we'll, a little shout out to Heon Chung. Um, but yeah, I, I mean this this performance for me, I, I had it as my number one because. It was kind of the first time. Number one. <laughs> I mean, my my number my number one following the. the no, three, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Because um, you can't really compare it to those, but it, it was really this stretch that we hadn't seen from a young guy yet. I mean, truly, it, it was incredible, and I remember that was kind of all the hype for a couple weeks uh, when when that happened. So it was incredible. When our messages are inevitably hacked by someone and leaked, they will see in 2018 him advancing past Djokovic and me texting you saying, this is great for business because I was all in on the Hyun Chung bandwagon. I was like, maybe someone will notice that we're all in on Hyun Chung. Um, but yeah, no, it was one of those monumental moments, one of the first breakthroughs for the next-gen ATP, and it just felt so significant because of how he followed it up. It was like, okay, these guys are going to stay around for a while. And you want to say, you know, that result does 
doesn't have I agree with you it doesn't have the flash of what the other three guys have done it's in a category below that but I think the significance of that semifinal it's funny because I always say well what about the other 52 weeks and you know 42 weeks sorry I keep doing that um and you know the Hatchinov Paris Masters title he beat so many great players to get that win shouldn't he deserve more credit no, because this happened before all of that. This was that first moment. It did feel that much more significant, and because of that, that much more memorable. Absolutely. I mean, there's not a whole lot much more to say. It, it I was really, going to say, so... It, yeah, if you have a second to go back and watch any of the highlights, I mean, you got to just... The level... The backhand. The backhand and the movement, too. It's such a the, bummer. It's such a bummer that the injuries got to him Then those blisters. I mean... He was sliding around the court. That backhand was Djokovic-esque. Watching the Djokovic-him match was incredible. So go back and watch. Uh, it's truly impressive. Second best legs I've ever seen behind Kyle Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I agree with you. He is certainly in my top five. Um, all right. Do you want to hear the one that I thought yes, you were going to go ab- with? I was about to ask that. Okay. Now, again, by... The Well, this was a really good result, but there have been better next-gen performances that you could throw in here as well. But my number four one, the one I thought you had to include, Denis Shapovalov, age 18, 2017, Montreal. Rogers Cup semifinal. Yeah, yeah I, I had that in my list. Because you look at the context of the event. Sorry, just real quickly. He was number 143 heading into the event. And the previous year, he actually upset Kyrgios and made the second round before bowing out. And so he had had a little bit of experience. But you got to put it in context. And this is going to be a crazy factoid. I believe 2017 was the year that Shapovalov hit the chair umpire in Davis Cup. And I might be wrong. I might be screwing that up. But I don't think no, I am. I think I might be right. Yeah, I think that was the year he hit him in the face. And that was like, you know, everyone was like, oh, my God, like what what just happened there? But, of course, for of that year, it was a breakthrough season. He had a 17-match win streak on the Challenger and Futures Tour in March. At the end of July, he won Gatineau. He made the semifinals of Granby Challenger leading into Rogers Cup. Uh, he then, you know, as a wild card into the event, beats number 64, Dutra Silva, in three sets, which at that point already you think, okay, as an 18-year-old, that's a win. He then beats Delpo in straights, Nadal 7-6 in the third, and then most impressively follows up a 7-6 in the third Nadal win just to win the next match over Manorino in three sets. And the hardest thing for a young player is to follow up that breakthrough win. He did it here, and this— you know, why I think I will continue to hold Denis Shapovalov in such high regard is because you can see if you watch tennis, when he's on, there are few people who can match that sort of upside. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we, we've talked about the pop he's got on that forehand. And, uh, you know, I, I remember watching this match, too. Uh, I think we might have even been watching it together. And, uh, you know, when I was looking through the, the results, this one obviously stands out. And we've talked about the post-big win slump, you know, a million times, right? And it's not just match slumps, it's tournament slumps. You know how many times we've seen a, a winner of a tournament lose first round next tournament? I mean, it, the adrenaline, like you said, that you get from winning those matches, huge for him to come back and, and win that next round. And again, I mean, he was, what, 19, right? It's just mm-hmm. incredible performance against Nadal. Um, so, yeah, I, I had that on my list. Though, it, I don't want to move on too quick from this match, but I do think there's one that's more even more impressive than that also against Nadal no we can move on because again for him I just think age you we talked about at the beginning context is so important to break through in that moment he was a former junior slam champion a former you know top ranked ITF junior and so there were always going to be expectations for him but this solidified all that it was like oh yeah this guy's the real deal pretty cool yeah absolutely so if if, if you're willing to let me move forward this was one, and I'm only bringing it up now because it is applicable given we just talked about a young player beating the doll. I know this was kind of on the edge, but I have to bring it up. Nick Kyrgios, 2014, Wimbledon yeah. fourth round against Rafa. He goes into this tournament ranked 144. He's a wild card. And he goes in and beats Rafa in an unbelievable fourth round match. 
I mean, the kid is 19 years old. Going, watching, I also watched a lot of this match and, and the highlights from it. I mean, he looks like a child. It's kind of hilarious. He gets excited, which, you know, we haven't really seen in a long time. The, the guy, I think he jumps up out of excitement after winning the third set. Um, and, you know, he goes prior to beating the doll. Uh, his first round, he beats Robert in four sets. He beats Gasquet in the second round, 10-8 in the fifth. He beats Jiri Vesely in the third round and then beats Rafa. And then it comes back to that inability after a big win. He can't beat Ranich in that quarterfinal, unfortunately. But that match, 2014, 144th. He's a wild card and he's 19 years old. I think you have to give that in a grand slam that match is more impressive than Shapo's 2017 win. So Kyrgios is always on the border, right? Because I think he's six months older than me, but he definitely belongs in this generation because he's not generation teen. No. Um, but so I agree with you. He's the only, he's another guy who do you hold him? Because at his best, he probably belongs in the conversation with Medvedev, Zverev, and Tsitsipas, but that best is so sporadic and so in between, and we don't have to relitigate Kyrgios as we've done so often on this podcast. But how about it when he made that final in Cincinnati? He beat Nadal there. Right. How about last season when he won in Acapulco, when he beat you know Nadal and then Wawrinka and then Isner and then uh, Zverev back to back to back to back? Right. I, I think that's a really good argument. I have no problem including uh, – Curios uh, in this discussion because yeah his best results belong there as well. All right, in terms of the other snubs, I would also say you know there's some other Shapovalov performances that he's backed up, which is why he belongs in the conversation. He's made multiple semi other semifinals, Madrid and Miami, and then he made that Paris finals this year where he beat Fonini, Zverev, and Monfils, who were all trying to assure that they were going to lock in their ATP final spots for him to beat them all in Paris indoor hard court. Uh, yeah, he benefited from the Nadal withdrawal in the semis and then got routed by Djokovic in the finals, but that was a really good result. Obviously, Kyrgios has had a bunch of results as well. Who were the other people who came up who ultimately just fell a little bit short? So, this one was tough because it was an ATP 250 performance, and it's, I remember vividly when we were talking about this upset win for him, uh, Francis Tiafo, his 2018 Delpo. Yeah, his 2018 Delray title, beating Delpo in that second round match. Uh, Delpo was ranked 10th at the time. He wins it 7 6, 4, 6, 7, 5. And uh, there, you know, there was all this talk because Delpo was one of Tiafo's idols growing up, one of the guys he looked up to the most. Um, and then you, you got to look at some of the other results from, from this tournament. He beats Chung in that quarterfinal in three sets. He beats Shapo in that semifinal, and then he beats Peter Gojo in, in the finals, so not the you know, toughest of his five matches, but, I mean, that run right there was just absolutely um, just incredible. Um, so, not, of course, you know, looking at the criteria, not the, not, it's an ATP 250, um, you know, it's, the, the competition was tough, uh, but it doesn't compare to some of these other ones. Yeah, what's so funny is looking back as I was doing this, there are a lot of guys in this conversation, and not to skip ahead of you, but yeah, I was like, do I include Tiafo for that title run? Do I include Tiafo's quarterfinal at the Australian Open? Like, what yeah, about the FAA? Kevin, the, and, I mean, the Kevin Anderson win is a huge win for him, right? It's like... yeah. Yeah, exactly. And FAA and Demon Hour, who don't have the best results, but have clearly been really, really good. Or what about Christian Guerin on clay? That he's proven he's a top 10 player on clay. Shouldn't that mean something? But, you know, those were guys who fell a little bit short. I mentioned Karen Hatchinov. He deserves, or Kachinov, excuse me. Can I hear Kachinov from you? It's been Kachinov. a while. Yeah, because, you know, that Paris Masters title, as well as his run at the Rogers Cup in 2019, uh, they're right up there. They were both spectacular runs, you know, for him in Paris, again, to beat Team, to beat Djokovic, uh, uh, to beat Zverev, I think, all in the same tournament. That's really impressive. He was a guy I considered. Andre Rublev's start to this season, 11-1. He wins Qatar. He wins Adelaide back-to-back, fourth round of the Australian Open, four top 50 wins during that stretch. That was really good. Borna Cioric, who if you would have – that's another guy. If we would have done this exact pod in 2017, 
he would be at the top of my list yeah. as a guy who would be like, oh, yeah, he's going to win at least four Grand Slams for sure. Um, now, that hasn't been the case, uh, but, you know, he's had some results as well that sniff this conversation, that Halla ATP 500 title. He beat Zverev, he beat Federer, he beat RBA, all in the same tournament on grass. You know, Berrettini U.S. Open semifinals or Shanghai semifinals, fine. Yannick Sinner with just whatever he was on at the end of last season, you want to throw him in there, fine. But what this conversation, and again, this exercise told me is there are a lot of good players who've had a lot of good results early in their careers, and the question is now, which of them can do it consistently, and particularly on tennis's biggest stages? And, you know, it's funny, the the one player, and I'm totally with you, right? It's, it is about consistency and on the biggest stages. Um you know, it's the the one player that I think as I was going through this, he was I kind of just looked him up immediately in this conversation. Was hoping to find uh, something that I didn't remember, but FAA nothing yeah. really impressive yet. A couple of finals. So he was starting to be really good at the start of the season, back to back finals, right. right in February. And in, in 2019, Miami Open, you know, he, he gets to the semis there after being a qualifier. I mean, that's you know, in and of itself, impressive. Um, but there's just nothing there, and, you know, I don't know. His Indian Wells performance was good, but there's just the, not- o- the only counter is I'm pretty sure he was born in, like, 2000. Yeah, I mean, right. That's, that's what I was going to say. He's uh, he's currently 19 years old. <laughs> so what <laughs> yeah. the hell? I, I should just take yeah, yeah. that whole segment back. It, it, no, 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 no. Because you rewind. No, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no rewind. You asked me earlier. Reverse the uh, rewind. It, Am, am I? <laughs> I don't even know what that sounds like. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to ask him to do that. Uh, reverse the rewind <laughs> is what I'm writing right now in my notes. But, you know, the thing is, he has been really good at the 250 level. And, you know, he's had some health things early in his career as well. But, you know, Zverev at his age was starting to compete to win Masters, and I would have loved... It was such a shame as we're at such an interesting time in the tour transition-wise, and to lose play at this moment on this time stage. You know, uh, uh, tennis is a minimal concern, of course, but we were going to be in the midst of a really fun season. Like, you know, Rafa got bailed out. He's probably not going to have to defend his French title this year, or if he loses it, it'll always be like, yeah, but that was the year with the coronavirus and all of the, you know, put an asterisk next to everything that happens in 2020. I think there was a legit, I would have had Dominic Team as the favorite for, for this year's French Open. Nah, that's a hot take. We would have seen you, you so can't. much more clay beforehand. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm curious what DraftKings would have had it at. It probably would have oh. been, I mean, <laughs> uh-huh, a little, little uh, sly guy there. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, you can't take Nadal out of the favorite spot, but you could have had Nadal at, you know, somewhere yeah. in the minus and then uh, team at even. You know, that's that's totally feasible. But, yeah, I, I mean, uh, what ifs? The, the the big what ifs. Yeah, no, without question. We need we need a what if pod. Yeah. Uh, yes, I complete. I would do 30 minutes on Joaquim Johansson, but we can save <laughs> that for another time. Um, or... This Davi Danko gambling story that I sent you. Oh like, man, dude, he's like forever unclean in my in my mind. Uh, like he's been tarnished. That's the word I was looking for. It's just like I had no idea Alex, about any of that. You're a man of law. You're innocent until proven guilty. You know that he was never. I know. But you don't understand, like, Eric, every time he does a tennis impression, it's always Eric being my older brother, for those of you listeners who don't know. It's always, and Davi Danko holds. <laughs> and it's like, um, and, and now I'm going to be like, holds what? Like, holds charges? Yeah. Holds, like, yeah. Holds, holds money uh, in foreign bank accounts? <laughs> yeah. Holds rigged matches on a public forum? Like, what are we talking about here? And so, oh, yeah, man. no, it's um, it, it's something else, but... Yeah, I mean that's really any final thoughts I guess on this next gen. I don't, <laughs> we yeah, totally from just, there, we totally just yeah, straight away. Let's just um, wipe by that. And you know, again, uh, we're, we're going to briefly get to the news in a second. But your final thoughts on this next gen cohort, what they've accomplished thus far? Because you know, Andrew Burton, who writes for Tennis with an Accent, some of the best charts he's produced, and I retweeted one he sent out recently. You compare this generation to Generation Grigor, and they are doing a bit better. But you compare them to where Generation Nadal and Generation Federer was at, were at this point. It's really five years into their careers, and they're still lagging a bit behind. 
What do you feel about this cohort of players? I mean, you can't compare it to their start to their careers because we're talking about three of the best players of all time, right? Um, and it was really just a couple of them, you know, with that success. We're talking about, I mean, we're, we're talking about six, seven guys kind of right now. Um, and I think the, the main takeaway is that it's exciting, right? I mean, looking back on this reminds you how much success these guys have had at such an early stage. We're talking about 19 to 24-year-olds, and I think we're learning more and more that the peak of these guys' careers are probably, you know, depending on how young they are now, anywhere from four to seven years away. Um, so it's it's exciting. It's just very exciting. I, I'm really um, eager to see what the, the next step is for them and, and for one of them to get that first title. Yeah, and Grand you know, Slam titles, excuse me. Yes, and to complete the conversation, I suppose, where we started, what's so exciting about this generation is there are legitimately 10 guys who you could say without a sweat. Um, It's interesting because we didn't talk about Riley Opelka, but I would put him in the conversation of guys who I think could win a major. Um, But there's legitimately 10 of them who you could say, hey, this guy could win a major in the next 5, 10 years if things break correctly for them at any given Grand Slam. So really exciting time to be a tennis fan, certainly when the resumption of the ATP Tour starts. uh, It will be fascinating to see how everything breaks down. All right, very quickly, let's get to the news. And there's not much of it today, so we can go through it fast here at the end. Wimbledon announced their plan to contribute 1.2 million pounds uh, to through the Wimbledon Foundation to various funds in support of the you know fighting uh, the COVID-19 and all of the backlash that has occurred because it all I should say all of, uh, so what they are doing with their funds is they're supporting the NHS and emergency services through financial donations from the Wimbledon Foundation as well as donations of toiletries care bags equipment no longer no longer required for the championships they're also assisting local national and international communities through the creation of a 1.2 million euro fund as i mentioned uh by the opening of an aeltc kitchen to donate hot meals to those in need in their area uh, to aeltc staff volunteering and much more they're also going to be donating player uh to local players and clubs and trying to support all of their in the local tennis community that have been impacted by this i mean again it, it sucks that we can't court that so many individual entities have to step up and make these individual individual efforts and they can't just be one coordinated coherent effort across all of tennis uh, but it is so encouraging to continue to see all these entities step up maxi well look when you buy an insurance policy that gets you an 140 million dollar <laughs> payout or whatever it was I, I don't have the exact number on the top of my head uh the least you can do is give away you know a million to uh to these funds during a trying time so uh you know i i think it's great they're doing that and of course, you know, you wish there was a unified effort, which there is. We, we've got the player relief yeah. fund, and, and that is great to see everyone come together. Um, but for, you know, a tournament like Wimbledon that clearly has the resources, uh, it's great to see them taking that, you know, extra step to reach out uh, elsewhere. Yeah, and, you know, on the Grand Slam note, just quickly, we learned projected today if Roland Garros was to hold their event without fans, they'd lose approximately 50% of the revenue. That's more than has been projected for the U.S. Open. That's been projected for the Australian Open and even uh, for Wimbledon. And, uh, you know, that that's just an interesting tidbit to see, especially because the French Open keeps jockeying. It's probably been the most active tournament on the calendar it's clear they really want to play that in the u.s open uh but it's going to feel you know it's going to be difficult to work out all the logistics but we are starting to see some tennis maxi and we saw the utr event on tennis channel this past weekend there have been exhibitions elsewhere throughout the country as well excuse me for that hiccup we're starting to see national championship type events emerge in austria germany the czech republic spain there's an event in britain as well your thoughts on all of the exhibition tennis well one it's it's somewhat funny i'm laughing because i'm thinking back to some of the the highlights i saw and some of the tennis that i watch um, and watching these guys kind of fist pump to themselves with no fans is comical because we're used to seeing them do it. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of like kind of with of my backyard tennis that I play. You know, like if I'm playing with you and I'm fist bumping to myself, you know, it's it's kind of like they're just normal guys out there playing a competitive <laughs> match. Uh, so it, it's fun to see. Um, obviously, great to get some some live tennis back. Uh, we've we've gotten some pretty you know high quality tennis at times. You, we saw Hubie with. Uh, a pretty impressive tweener against Opelka, uh, you know, and congrats to Opelka for for getting that dub. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. Uh, I'm glad that they found a way to do it. Uh, it seems like they've taken all the appropriate precautions to, to do it safely. Um, and I hope that they can continue to do it so that we can, you know, get a little bit more live tennis in our in our lives. And, um, you know, hopefully it can get a little bit bigger. Let's let's find a way to to increase the size of these tournaments and, and do it safely. Yeah, it's clear. Is the effort 110 percent? Probably not. No. But it's just nice to see everyone on the court again. It's been very, very much missed. And as you mentioned, we want to expand the base of tennis fans. We want tennis to be a product that all tennis fans can enjoy. And that's why I want to encourage all of you to go to atpdoertour.com and search the tennis audience survey. Now, I believe it's like 40 to 50 questions, uh, just you know, very vague, asking about you, your background, why you're interested in tennis, what are the features of tennis you enjoy the most? What are the things you think tennis can improve in terms of marketing their content to a larger audience? Uh, look, we, you know, everyone wants to do market research. That's why we always ask all of you to go like, rate, subscribe, review, and share your comments with us on Twitter, Instagram, wherever it may be. Uh, but do go check that out. We all have 15 minutes. I mean, certainly... Oh, I was going to say something. I'm not going to say that. But, yeah, I think we all have 15 minutes to spare. And so, uh, you know, just go check that out because we want tennis to get better. They're offering us a voice in the process. Take the opportunity. Go fill out the survey. Or you don't get to complain as vehemently when they do things you don't like because you had a chance to. You know, it's just it's much like democracy. That's why everyone should vote, right? You have your chance to speak. You can oh overthrow the government. Yeah. We're, we're getting to this part legally... of the podcast where you get into politics. That means we're going too long. I'm just saying it's illegal <laughs> to overthrow the government every two years congressionally, every, you know, f- depending on every six years in the Senate, every four years presidentially, and that's by voting, you know, and ensuring your friends vote as well. But anyway, I have no that's, comment. Look, <laughs> well, that's not even political. I, I didn't say you should vote for this person. I'm just saying everyone should vote. Um, now, I have thoughts on who you should vote I for, know. but you're right. We don't, we don't do that on this podcast. Um, we save that for the off-mic stuff, and speaking of which, all of the stuff that happens on mic is possible because of the off-mic work of our super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff who as always have a f*** of an editing job to do day in day out none of this happens without them so shout out to them and you can do them all a solid by going to our YouTube channel right now subscribing to Cracked Rackets you don't want to miss any episode of Overserved little sneak peek for all of you listening this late in the podcast I'm going to rock a goatee this week on Overserved Maxie Uh, it's episode 10 I want to have some fun I haven't shaved in like three weeks the side Burns are going to go, but the stash and the beard are going to stay for the episode. They I, go immediately after. Can that. I make a suggestion? Of course. Go mutton chops. Screw the. What do, what do I do with this like neck stripe? Because like under my that's neck, the directly pr- under. That's why I'm saying mutton chops are good because you've got the nice chin. I don't know it, what a mutton chop it, is. It's basically you shave everything, but the the sides of your cheek. So like you shave the mustache, you shave the chin goatee and it's just, but I just the say, side. It's kind of like the, the Wolverine is, look almost, but they're not. I was going to say, in our religion, we call them payachs, right? Isn't that, <laughs> isn't like, that what the like, sideburns are they're, called? They're very extended, yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, all right, you guys can have some input on that as well. Maybe just you do that next time. time. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, for all of you fans, you know, we're rocking and rolling content-wise. Cracked Interviews, we had our podcast. We've been very college-focused recently, talking to so many of the All-Americans. We got the chance to talk to Alexa Graham. We got the chance to talk to uh, who? I mean, we've talked to uh, Gianni Ross, Elliot Spaziri, Brianna Schwetz. I'm trying to balance the names that we've talked to but haven't released yet. And I'm like, I don't want to give all of those away. But we've got a lot of good ones in the queue, so be on the lookout for all of that. Also, be on the lookout for the Great Shot Podcast, where if you are interested in all the news going on, the merger talks, the player relief fund, I got the chance to talk to a former ATP CEO, Mark Miles, who was head of the ATP from 1990 through 2005. No one is more linked in on the nuances of the professional tennis organization than the former CEO, so go check that out. Uh, But, you know, we're rocking and rolling here, so as always, follow, like, rate, subscribe, review, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at Cracked Rackets. I'm at Great Shot Pod. He's at Max L. Rothman, I believe. Uh, It's actually Rothman underscore Max. Rothman underscore Max. I just, you know, I emphasize the L, but Rothman underscore Max. And on that note, Rothman underscore Max, any final thoughts? Now, let's keep the content rocking and rolling. Let's look forward to some next-gen dubs in the near future and uh, hopefully some more live tennis here soon. 
All right, well, with that in mind, then, for my wonderful co-host, Maxwell LaPower Rothman, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, who, again, you go to MidwestSports.com, you use that promo code CR15, 15% off all of your orders, plus a free can of tennis balls. And from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Maxie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. <laughs> Full circle. I love it. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.